What's up guys, welcome back to Cage Speak episode 2. Today I'm going to be recapping UFC 235 and my expectations from the last episode and how they played out in reality. Um, I got a lot of things right, I got some things very very wrong, particularly the Tyron Woodley-Usman fight and my expectations for Zabit Magomed Sharapov. In terms of wins and losses, or winners and losers rather, um, I predicted 5 winners correctly and 4 losers incorrectly. Um, in the future, I think for these fight card breakdowns, I might do fewer fighters so I can watch more fights per fighter, um, so I can have longer, more detailed information for each fighter, uh, particularly De Diego Sanchez. I wish I would have watched more film on him in the past, um, but with without further ado, we're going to get started with Macy Chieson versus Gina Mazzani. Macy Chieson versus Gina Mazzani. Uh, this fight did end in the first round how I expected it to. However, I expected Gina Mazzani to not want to trade for as long as she did and for her to be the one to uh, try to put Macy to the fence. It was Macy that in ended up putting uh, Gina to the fence and ended up getting the knockdown for as Gina retreated and was out of position, didn't have her opponent in front of her and ate a, some clean straight punches as she tried to retreat. In open space, I was happy to see that Gina Mazzani did not just move forward as I saw her do in previous tape. Um, she did have some good lateral movement. She did some good straight punches to the body of Macy as well, but it really wasn't enough. And she, in my opinion, she should have. She needs to hide that cross better. Uh, she really likes that open cross from southpaw, um, and I, I think it, I think it left her open for too many counters, particularly from the rear leg body kick of Macy. It seems like she ate five or six uh, of those trying to move in and land straight punches. Um, I'm not sure why Macy decided to put her to the fence. Maybe she just decided it was time to. Maybe that was part of the game plan all along. Uh, I'm not sure that she ate a strike that she didn't like or not, but really good showing for Macy all around. She looked really fresh at this weight. Didn't seem slow, didn't seem tired, um, and awesome. just a great show for Macy all around. Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. This fight did play out in the first round how I expected it to for the most part. I didn't expect Mickey, to go, Mickey Gall to come out and try to wing punch wing punches as hard as he did. almost said Wing Chun. Didn't expect him to come out and Wing Chun Diego Sanchez. Um, I didn't expect him to come out and try to strike as heavy as he was. I did expect Diego to put him to the fence and try to put him to the floor and to deny stand-ups. That is what happened. However... Um, I expected that to go the way that the first round of Diego Sanchez versus Craig White went or the first and third round of Randy Brown versus Mickey Gall where the person in guard ended up in closed guard and was held with their head to the fence for the entirety of the round. Um, perhaps that didn't happen because Mickey Gall just didn't like how the Randy Brown fight went and he wanted to work his or be more proactive in working his way back to his feet. But ultimately, he was really unsuccessful, and maybe dogmatically chasing the stand-up was worse for his cardio than holding full guard or trying to get to butterfly or trying to get back to his feet slower. Um, Diego did a really good job of just taxing the hell out of his gas tank. And in the second round, Diego came out much more fresh than I expected him to. It seemed like he was a little winded in the second round of the Craig White fight, so that's what I expected in this one. Uh, but no no such thing happened. Uh, Diego came out really fresh in the second round, landed a beautiful knee to the body. I wasn't sure if it was to the solar plexus or to the liver. 
I'm going to have to go back and see that. But even by that point, Mickey Gall had slowed down quite considerably. And once that knee landed, uh, it looked like Mickey Gall just all of the fight left him. So really awesome stuff from Diego Sanchez. I, I really want to go back and watch some of his older fights. Again, as I said in the intro, uh, I should have watched. I wish I would have watched more tape on him. And uh, I think that's going to be something I do this week. Johnny Walker versus Misha Sikirnov. I mentioned in the last episode that Johnny Walker does like to look for that flying knee, but I was really expecting it to happen from the clinching position. Um, I also did expect for uh, Johnny Walker to come out and throw a lot of feints. On a first watch, I didn't think that he threw that many, but I saw some uh, saw some highlights. I rewatched the entire fight in the quote-unquote highlights, and he threw way more than I really noticed in real time through a lot of both shoulder feints and hip feints and was just jittery for pretty much all 30 seconds of the fight and landed a clean jumping knee to Misha Sikirnov. Uh Johnny Walker has crazy power and again his eyes just eyes glued open sees everything um pretty sure in it might have been jack slack there's there's some something i saw on youtube someone made a the momo meme out of his face at the way end um so that was pretty funny i thought i thought it was funny that someone else picked up on that but uh really good stuff from johnny walker i'm very curious to see where his career goes from here um i think the easy matchup would probably probably be tiago santos but dana white i saw a headline was saying that uh, he wants John Jones to next face Tiago Santos or Johnny Walker. Um, I don't. I think it might be too early to say how Johnny Walker would do against John Jones, but um, him versus Tiago Santos, those two together would be in a barn burner of a fight. And um, I think in time he may be a good challenge for John Jones. Uh, John Jones, I don't think he's ever fought someone with that kind of power. You know, we never saw the Rampage Jackson, or not Rampage Jackson, um, Rumble Johnson fight. So I think that'd be a good future matchup for John Jones and uh, ultimately a really good, really good showing from Johnny Walker. Put Misha Sikurnoff away in the first 30 seconds. Didn't even have to go to the clinch as I was expecting to. Misha didn't even make it there. And uh, I, I really thought that he would get punished coming in, but no such thing. He, he was punished well before he even decided to come forward. So really good stuff. Zabit Magomed Sharapov versus Jeremy Stevens. I was pretty wrong about this fight. I did not expect Jeremy Stevens, or rather Zabit Magomed Sharapov, to hold Jeremy Stevens down in the second round the way he did. I commented in my last episode that I thought his top control was weak, though his takedown artistry was strong. Uh, I, I think I have to eat my words on that one. Um, in the second round, he did a great job of holding Jeremy Stevens down. I don't think Jeremy Stevens even got back to half guard, which he is usually able to do if nothing else. Um, in the first round, Zabit Magomed Sharapov boxed Jeremy Stevens from the southpaw position much better than I expected him to. Really good straight punches. He did throw that uh, rear leg body kick from southpaw as I as he has in the past. Um, Jeremy Stevens did not use left-handed hooks as much as I expected him to and would have liked to see him do. Um, in the first round, actually throughout the fight, it seemed like against the fence when Zabit would circle out to Jeremy's left, Jeremy would look for the power spinning back fist with his right hand. I would have preferred to see left hooks in that situation. Um, and I didn't see Jeremy do his orthodox cross 
steps uh, his orthodox cross into a stance switch, followed by the rear southpaw hook. Um, I saw him change stances a few times, kind of flirting with the idea, but I didn't see him really throw it once. Kind of frustrating to see from Jeremy Stevens. He did come out in the first round and throw empty low kicks as I was expecting him to. In fact, I gave him the first round because of that. I thought he did more damage overall than Zabit in the first round, and I thought he did take the third round. So in real time, I disagreed with the decision, but I can see why they gave Zabit the first round, and he clearly won the second round. So not a decision anyone could be upset about. Um, and that, that kick holding the fence... Uh, that would have, I, I'm not, that was super illegal. It's one thing, in my opinion, to grab the fence when someone's trying to take you down, but to hold the fence and try to throw like a stiff shot off of it, that was weird. Um, I, he didn't even, I don't even think he got a warning for that, but really good stuff from Zabit Magomed Sharapov. He really surprised me, uh, both with his top control and with his boxing from Southpaw. Uh, so I'm, I'm excited to see where he goes next. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. Pedro Munoz. Pedro M. Mr. Pedro. Um, this was a really interesting fight. Pedro landed m many more low kicks than I expected him to against Cody in the first round. The, the only round, the first round. Uh, but he landed way more low kicks than I expected him to. I really expected Cody to be able to account for those by skipping back. He did skip back once or twice and dodge those, uh, those low kicks, but I really think those slowed him down. You know, MMA boxers, one of their classic weaknesses, quote-unquote, is their weight distribution onto their lead leg. You can look at Nate Diaz or Nick Diaz as good examples. Nick Diaz even has an interview where he talks about, I'm not going to, I'm not going to check kicks because I'm not going to get out of my stance. You better, you better make it count. Um, so very interesting that Pedro exploited that tendency. Uh, and once Cody was slowed down, and it entered into that battle of hooks as I was expecting it to. Pedro seemed like he was the quicker man. It seemed like he timed his shots just a little better. Um, I also expected that once Pedro got tagged that he would enter his uh, Pedro's been hit version of himself where he stops backing up and he starts walking forward and planting his feet and throwing hooks all day. Uh, I think that is pretty much what happened especially in the last 45 30 seconds prior to that when he wasn't getting tagged he did a good job of mixing up high kicks and straight punches into his repertoire um it's a bummer to see cody garbrandt lose three three fights in a row like this but i think pedro came out with an awesome game plan and i'm excited to see where he goes next tisha torres versus zhang wale or wale zhang i'm not really sure how her name is supposed to be said. I've, I feel like I've seen it both ways, Zhang Wale and Wale Zhang. So for short, I'm just going to say Zhang. Um, I, I didn't see all of this fight, but from what I did see, Zhang did a good job, as I expected, of getting that check hook in Tisha's face as she tried to come in. Um, I expected Zhang to have more range on Tisha than she ended up having. Uh, Tisha did a better job of closing the gap several times than I expected her to, though she did eat hooks several times for her efforts. Zhang did a good job of rolling through that takedown, I think, in the first round, which was really cool to see, though she, I'm pretty sure the same thing happened to her in the same round. At the end of the second round, Zhang held Tisha down in a loose half guard, 
you know, it was a half guard where Tisha's flattened out on her back and very much extended. So you can't say might as well have been side control, but pretty close to side control. I didn't expect Zhang to be able to hold down Tisha Torres in such a position. I thought uh, Tisha Torres would do a good job of wiggling out. But a really good fight between both ladies. And I really like Zhang's attitude after the fight. She was she was very quick to go up to Tisha and get her translator, who was awesome and very enthusiastic, and I really liked him too. And she was saying, you know, we should be friends. You should come show me stuff. We need to train. I like you. And uh, I really like Zhang. She's probably one of my favorite fighters in the division now. A really good show from her, and I'm excited to see who she fights next. I'm excited to see how she would do against someone with a little more range. I don't know if Joanna Janjacek is even considered in that division anymore, but if she is, I think that would be an interesting fight just to see how she deals with someone who has maybe better range than she does. Uh, but overall, big ups on Miss Zhang. Zhang. Zhang Wale. Wale Zhang. Pick one. Ben Askren versus Robbie Lawler. In my last episode, I said this fight is impossible to have an opinion on going in. Um, not impossible to have an opinion coming out of it, but it's hard, it's hard to say how the outcome of that fight should or would have gone if not for the fuckery with the finish. Um, I don't blame Herb Deem at all, Herb Deem, Herb Dean at all for the finish because in real time, I thought Robbie Lawler was out the way his arm went limp. Uh, I didn't see him do a thumbs up. I didn't see his arm stay stiff after Herb Dean checked on him, though I've seen other people say that that happened. Luke Thomas said on his show that um, he was with several people and none of them thought Robbie was out. I did in real time, but maybe I'm just silly. Uh, But the finish aside and um, Herb Dean's mistake aside, I think that we can tell a few things. One, Ben Askren can take damage. If Robbie Lawler can slam you on your head and you can still put him against the fence at some point in the next couple of minutes, you're a dog and you have a chin made of diamonds or some other harder substance, maybe that black stuff from Dragon Ball Z that they drop on Goku's head um, when he's hanging out with the Supreme Kais. I don't know what it's made out of, but it's awesome and I, I want two pounds of it. Um... Robbie Lawler, what can you say about Robbie Lawler? He came out like an animal. He was like, fuck your tie up, you know, screw this, screw this wrestling nonsense. I'm going to slam you on your face. And that's what he did. After that, though, after Askren made it back to his feet, Robbie did try the over the back uh, body lock that I mentioned in the last episode to prevent the takedown. As I expected, it didn't prevent him from being put on his butt in a certain situation. However, in this fight, it looked like Robbie Lawler's body lock, quote-unquote, was locked more towards the armpits and maybe even the upper arms of Askren. And in the past, in the Hendricks fight and the RDA fight, it seemed like he got that more over the abdomen and the solar plexus. So, really good fight. I don't know if I'd want to see them run it back. I'm interested to see Askren bite other people in the division. And I don't think that this is a loss that really means a whole lot for Robbie Lawler going forward. I don't think you can write him off because he lost this fight at all. Um, So a good showing from both men and no big ups for Herb Dean, but also no big downs either because I don't blame him for doing what he did in that situation. You know, you're in a situation where you see a fighter's arm go limp for a second. 
Robbie Lawler probably can't hear you or see you very well, much less talk to you or communicate with you very well. And then you have Ben Askren just doing what he's supposed to do, which is try to break Robbie Lawler's face or neck. Um, And who's to say that that choke wouldn't have gotten the finish anyway? Luke Thomas mentioned on his podcast that maybe had Ben Askren continued with the maneuver and lowered his hips more to the ground that we would have seen a tap or a choke out. But who's to say? Ultimately, big ups for the fighters and big um, holding thumbs horizontally for Herb Dean. Kamar Usman versus Tyron Woodley. Uh, Out of all of my expectations, this was the one where I have to eat my words the hardest. Um, Kamar, in my last episode, I said, you know, I think this is going to be a classic grappler versus grappler situation where the grappling kind of cancels each other, the grapplers kind of cancel each other out, and we see a, a kickboxing match from which I would have expected Tyron Woodley to win. I still would expect Tyron Woodley to win a kickboxing match with Kamar Usman. However, Kamar Usman did not, did did much better with his wrestling than I thought he did. Much better is an understatement. He put on a wrestling clinic. It was beautiful, beautiful work. Um, he did not waste any time. It seemed like in the fourth round, maybe in the fifth, there were a few times where he was trying to convince Tyron for just a moment that, okay, now we're going to strike. And then he quickly got back to work against the fence. Um, a couple of notes. I said, in, it's really ironic in the last episode I was like you know if Dan Margliotta's refing this expect some fuckery along the fence but it was really Mark Goddard with the fuckery and Tyron Woodley's favor he told Kamar Usman as he stood him up one time that this is fighting like what do you think he's doing holding the champion down on his butt against the fence and pounding his body like he wasn't landing all headshots sure but he was beating the hell out of uh, Tyron Woodley's right side. I'm amazed that his Kamar Usman's arm didn't just blow out after a round or two because he did not stop working with it. He was hitting the thigh. He was hitting the abs. He was just pounding, pounding, pounding with that right hand. And, um, you know, Mark Goddard, I don't agree with really any of those stand-ups. Maybe one or two of the separations standing against the fence where there was some inactivity, but it seemed like Mark Goddard, Mark Goddard was really hunting for opportunities to break it up and just because he didn't like the style of fighting that was happening i don't agree with any of that um an interesting note about kamar usman and we'll talk about this a little more in the next fight but kamar usman did the same shoulder bump that john jones did i think that he did it for different reasons particularly in the stand-up against the fence it seemed like kamar usman was focusing on bumping that shoulder up to keep Tyron Woodley's posture high, not so much a strike. Um, And it seemed like he was doing that to keep Tyron Woodley's posture high and to then work the lower body, work those takedowns. Excuse me. Um, Excuse me again. Oh, Jesus. And then against the fence, I don't remember what round. It might have been the third. It might have been the fourth. But you saw Kamara Usman just start to hammer Tyron Woodley's face into the fence with his shoulder. That was more of a strike. And he must have done it probably eight or ten times. Uh, Really interesting. You don't see a lot of people working that shoulder into those situations. And it was was cool to see Kamaru do that. Overall, 
you know, just what what a clinic by Kamaru Usman. What a wrestling clinic. I cannot wait to go back and rewatch and dissect how he was able to do this to Tyron Woodley. I did not expect anyone in the world to be able to do this to Tyron Woodley. So moving forward, it'd be interesting to see Kamaru Usman fight other people in the division that have good wrestling pedigrees, such as Ben Askren, even Colby Covington, who's probably next up. Uh, it looks like 170 is just going to be the division of wrestlers, and I'm very excited for that. John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Um, this fight in the first round did not go quite as I expected it to. I had mentioned in the last episode that John Jones does not like to box with people whenever their lead leg is still healthy. He definitely did do a little more boxing in the first round than I expected him to. He threw more straight punches than I expected him to. That might have been a respect thing, um, but who's to say, really? He came out with these crazy kicks, this spinning side kick and side kicks in general to the body, and the axe kick. Um, it would have been interesting to see him go back to the axe kick, but he didn't start working that leg until the second round, and I don't even think in the beginning of the second round. he It was well into the second round that he started working those leg kicks, and it wasn't until the third round that you really saw Anthony Smith slow down I was frustrated with Anthony Smith's corner because they're telling him you have to go forward they're yelling at him you have to stand up you have to move and it's like his front leg is no longer there he might as well be hopping around on his back foot his front leg has been just chewed up in the second round and the third round there were exchanges where yes Anthony Smith was throwing punches trying to be offensive and not totally unsuccessful not totally getting dominated whenever he did so but the problem is after exchanges where anthony smith did well he was eating four five six shots to his leg and those really added up i'd be interested to see how many leg kicks john jones landed in those rounds versus uh anthony smith's punches thrown overall because i bet that those leg kicks to the lead leg number more than anthony smith's total strikes in those rounds two and three specifically once john jones john jones said in the post fight that his strikes weren't doing anything to anthony smith i don't know how accurate that is i think that his strikes definitely slowed down the lead leg of of anthony smith and substantially so even afterwards though he started to pin Anthony Smith to the fence, and once there, continued his assault on the legs. Just did insane amounts of work to the point where um, Anthony Smith was just turtling and just trying to not eat shots. I had a, I thought about it today. I was like, if you stopped that fight at a certain point in the fourth round and you asked Anthony Smith, like, not... Obviously, he'd want to fight John Jones, but physically, I feel like his body would rather stay in that fight, stay in that position, than stand up and run a mile. I think he'd rather sit there and get beat on than stand up and have to use that leg for longer than 10 seconds because John Jones did nothing but punish the shit out of Anthony Smith's left leg for rounds two, three, four, and five. Um, against the fence, I mentioned in the last um, fight, while speaking about the last fight, that um, Kamar Usman did good work with that shoulder strike. John Jones against the fence, he put a lot more pop into it. He was like hopping off the ground with it and making it more of a strike. It accomplished both the same goal as Kamar Usman, which is keeping Anthony Smith's posture upright so that he could continue to work the lower body. But it also was a strike in and of itself. Um, really interesting to see. Also really interesting to see from John Jones that he did not 
to to me, and I have to rewatch this, but it seemed like he did not dogmatically search for the underhooks as a lot of people do. It seemed like he was much more content than most people to uh, control one of the wrists of Anthony Smith, particularly the left wrist. Sometimes he would have a two-on-one. Sometimes he would go to the underhook but maintain that left wrist. Um, And I think that was mostly due to the fact that he has impeccable head control. He has his head in the perfect position to control the posture and the positioning of Anthony Smith. And it has to do with the fact that by the time they were against the fence, Anthony Smith didn't have the leg that he needed to circle out at all. Um, So, you know, obviously... do I really even need to say good stuff from John Jones? It was a goat-worthy performance, as always. Uh, n- about the picograms and the illegal strikes, really no comment. Um, it seemed like there was some confusion about which set of the rules they were using, so I don't think that John Jones was intentionally trying to land illegal strikes on Anthony Smith. What I will say about that is that Anthony Smith is a uh, honorable sportsman for not trying to get the belt via DQ, I thought that was uh, really admirable and a really cool thing. Um, You know, the man would rather get beat on and lose than to win by some bullshit, and that is very much respectable. And as long as John Jones isn't blatantly poking people in the eyes, I'm, I'm not worried about illegal strikes. I don't think it was on purpose. I don't think it was necessary. Good on Herb Dean for taking two points on him, though, because that first kick was questionable and that knee was definitely illegal. So good on him for both not disqualifying John Jones when he didn't have to, using the replay. I said both, but I'm about to say three things. Using the replay to verify whether the knee was illegal in the first place. And then three, taking two points from John Jones once he realized that the knee was illegal. Um... So good on Herb Dean for that big ups there. Definitely made up a little bit for the Robbie Lawler fight in my mind. Not that I was really mad at him at all for it. Um, and, you know, what can you say about Anthony Smith other than what a dog. He made it five rounds with him, five five rounds with John Jones, which is something Daniel Cormier can't say. That's something Alexander Gustafson can't say. Luke Thomas in his post-fight special did comment that both of those finishes did happen in rematches. So, you know, what does a rematch between John Jones and Anthony Smith look like? Who knows? But all the same, uh, nothing but respect for Anthony Smith and nothing but the usual goat-worthy performances from John Jones. And that's going to wrap it up for episode two of Cage Speak. This was our 235 recap. I'm really happy with a lot of the things or my expectations that I had coming into this uh, card. I was definitely wrong in certain areas, specifically the Kamar Usman fight in general, and um, Zabit, Zabit Magomed Sharapov's boxing and his top control. Uh, but all things considered, I think I made some really worthwhile observations, and I had a lot of fun putting together the episode. I mentioned earlier, I think I'm going to do less fighters and less fights in general when I do these fight card breakdowns so that I can spend more time watching more fights on each fighter. I spent 13 hours on the last episode and I still want to put in a lot of hours when I do these fight card breakdowns, but I think I'm going to use that time a little more wisely and go a little deeper in my dives on a fight tape for each of these fighters. Um, I'm expecting to do a couple of more episodes this week, not particularly about the fight card at the weekend, though I may do one about that as well. I have some topics that I want to cover. Um, I don't think they'll be long episodes. I really want to keep this podcast under 30 minutes in general. 
Um, so tune in for those if you're interested. Thank you for listening. Eventually, iTunes will approve my podcast and you will be able to listen to it on there. Until then, you can find this on YouTube. You can follow me on Instagram at Cage Speak. And until next time, thank you guys.